Welcome to the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Wagner. My guest today is Vivian Zavataro. She's the curator of the Lilly Museum of Art at the University of Nevada, Reno. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. I want to go way back and start by asking you about your own background. You're a curator now, but how did you first get interested in art? Was it part of your life when you were growing up? Yeah, I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, born and raised there. In many ways, I think Sao Paulo is the cultural mecca of South America. It's the biggest city in South America. And I grew up going to museums and cinemas and performances. It was just a very rich city culturally. So me and my my friends, they were always in concerts and art shows and very experimental art shows, too. That was really fun. <laughs> I remember like being 15 and going to this like movie theater marathon. So we would start at midnight watch three movies and then so then by the time the three movies were done it would be like 6 a.m so we'd go get breakfast and then go straight to school can you still stay up that late nope (laughs) (laughs) cannot pull out all-nighter anymore but it was really fun you know growing up in such a city yeah how did you get from movie marathons and, and underground art into curating? I grew up in a very Catholic family, so very Italian, very Catholic. And your parents kind of decide what you do <laughs> when they're Italian. Oh. <laughs> so my mom was like, wow, you got to do, you know, like medical field. And so my first BA was in biotechnology. And I really didn't like working in the lab. I worked actually with vaccines a little bit, with malaria vaccine, that's what we were researching. And we were actually researching mRNA technology, which is really interesting to see it now. And that was like 15 years ago. It's funny when people are like, this is a new technology. I'm like, no, no, we've been studying for a really long time. Anyway, I didn't like working in a lab. I'm very outgoing, as you know, and uh, and being in a lab alone, cloning bacteria was not my thing. <laughs> so I started kind of traveling around the world and checking it out. I came here to actually Truckee, California, and I got hired to work at Tahoe Donner, the ski resort. Mm-hmm. Got to have a lot of fun with little kids, teaching them how to ski, and started going to UNR. Then I was like, you know what, now I can do whatever I want. And I started my degree in art history at UNR and got to fall in love with art history and fall even more in love with museums and and so on. From then on, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to work in museums. And that's where it all kind of started. I think a lot of people who do what they love say that they didn't take the direct route. I think it's common, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, I sometimes I wish I was like, wow, you know, if I could have done what I wanted from the get go, it would have been like, where would I have been, right? Uh, would I have been working in Brazil and, and museums there, or but it worked out perfectly. I, I love my job and I love where I am, so it you know, it all worked out. <laughs> Great. So, what would you say is your general philosophy as a curator? So getting my graduate degree in Europe, I got my master's in museum studies and heritage studies from the University of Amsterdam. 
I learned a lot about how art can change communities. And it was really hands-on program. And working in Europe and also, you know, working in museums and exhibitions over there, it was really cool to see how experimental it can be. And uh, not that in the States it's not, it, it is as well, but uh, there was a lot more experimental stuff happening in Europe at, at the time. My philosophy then started really focusing on the audience rather than the artifacts per se. How can museums interact with the public and serve their communities? Kind of started being the main idea in my work and, and what I do for museums and in museums. What do you know about the Lily Museum's audience? Uh, we've been gathering data, and it's not surprising. You know, it's still the same audience that goes to museums all over the world. It's whiter and older than our currently current society. So we are working on changing that. And I think we are succeeding from uh, when we started. It's a brand new museum, so in many ways, I feel like very blessed to have a white canvas and yeah. kind of work on different projects and different ways of activating the public and uh, interacting with the local communities here in Reno. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that probably the idea here is you're not thinking that the solution is to go out into different communities and find people and bring them in. It's more that the solution is to change the museums uh, so that it appeals to more kinds of people. Exactly. Am I, am I seeing it right? Yes, exactly. How do you think that can be done? So, you know, common complaints about museums. Museums are not relevant to my life. I don't feel comfortable in museums. If, you, if I go to a museum once, I don't feel the need to come back, right? I've seen it. And the, the problem is, for most people, is that they don't see their voices being represented within the museum walls. When you look at collections, for example, you know, most museums, including the Lily, the collection is 98 or, you know, like more than 90% white and male. And so how do you want, you know, Latinx folks to go into the museum? Of course, they don't, they're not going to feel that their voices are being represented within those walls because they don't see themselves in, on the walls, you know. And growing up, me, I, I also, you know, would go to museums and I would appreciate art, but I, I was very conscious that there were not a lot of women on the walls of the museum, right? Not a lot of uh, women of color and so on. And so I think the first step is just to be aware and start changing collections and collections that represent the multiplicity of our society. And then people will see themselves in the walls and then they will feel that that place is relevant to their lives, right? Uh, and I think that's that's just the first of... Uh, many things that can be done. Your museum, several years ago before you you became the director, made a concerted effort to start collecting yep. 20th century and contemporary African-American artists and mm -hmm. queer artists from around the world. And it was, it was deliberate steps to start yes. these specific collections. 100%. And that was one of the most exciting things about taking the museum after Paul Baker Prindle, you know, big big shoes to fill. But the what Paul did, uh, you know, my predecessor, it was already really exciting. 
you know, all of our purchases from Paul to today have been by queer, uh, indigenous, or uh, women artists, you know, so it's, um, and, and uh, artists of color. So it's been really exciting to continue the work that Paul started. Yeah, yeah. And for people who aren't familiar with the history of UNR's art collecting, do you want to talk a little bit about what it used to be like? What, there, yeah. there was a really specific bent to the collection, and I, th- I think it, that was a cool collection, but it's it, is, it was pretty specific. Yeah. yeah, it is a cool collection, and um, I'm not incredibly knowledgeable about it. I know I know a lot of other folks that would be able to tell a better story than the one that I'm going to tell right now. Uh, but a lot of the objects that we have in our collection came to us in the 60s uh, when we were a gallery, the Shepherd Gallery, uh, or Shepherd Contemporary at the uh, later years. And the works that we have in our collection are museum quality, artists from all over the world, but, you know, very white male centric uh, and western centric but very you know we have you know Renoir we, we have a monk <laughs> we have uh, I, I have shown you some of these treasures before we have Calders we have uh, you know incredibly well-known uh, artists in our collection we have Dali we have a Warhol Anyway, the idea is that from from now on we're paying more attention to artists that have not been represented in museum collections and and most most museums I think are more uh, like conscious of, of it moving forward, right? It's huge. It's yeah, that's what every institution is is talking about and contending with right now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the current exhibition at the Lilly Museum in Medio. Would you describe it for people who haven't seen it yet? Yeah. This is an exhibition about art that reflects on the U.S. and Mexico border called In Medio Senses of Migration. And it was curated by me and Jeanette, Jeanette Martinez. Uh, she's a Ph.D. student that explores art related to South America diaspora. And it's, it was really, really amazing curating the show and coming up with the concept for it because... We were what we were trying to do is really to think about the U.S. and Mexico border not from this politicized per- perspective or view, but more from a humanitarian perspective, and give the visitors the tools or perhaps some information that could entice their curiosity, so they could then you know dig in deeper. For themselves and not just hear of what goes on in the border on the border from mainstream media. When I saw the show, that's the reaction I had. I felt like you were not telling me what to think or telling me what to look at, but you were giving me some ideas and some parameters and and bringing up some questions and exactly. and asking viewers to to muddle over these specific questions that are really personal. Like you you ask what made you leave your country and what did you bring and what did you have to leave behind? Exactly. And that resonates so differently than many of the conversations we're hearing about immigration right now. Yeah, and um I feel like the past perhaps six years and you know more than that probably but it's been a little bit harsh just seeing the ways immigrants are judged but these are human beings we're talking about i have a a liberal you know bias for sure but i i really wanted when curating the show i really wanted 
to create a narrative that was not authoritative. So what you said, like, you, you didn't see that I was trying to to like push something, right? And that was exactly what I was trying <laughs> to do. So I was trying to entice visitors to have more questions, perhaps, or hopefully, than they had before they came in. So I wanted people to think about immigration policies or, or what is going on on the border from a perspective that we're not judging these people, but seeing what the reasons why they chose to go on a journey that is arduous, go, you know, like to to be like, I know that I can go to prison, I know that I can die, but I'm still gonna do this because I, I have hope for my family, right? And for my future. So just thinking about the issue from a humanitarian perspective. One thing that was really striking to me about the exhibition was that you included some photographs by a person who is actually an ICE employee. Was, yes, was, was. yes, yes, yes. He was a janitor at a detention facility, and his name is Tom Kiefer. He's a, a very talented photographer now uh, with exhibitions all over the world. But what he started to do was to uh, document these objects that were deemed unessential by ICE guards. So, so they were confiscated by the mm -hmm. guards, right? And they were being thrown away. And before being thrown away, Tom Kiefer would document these with his camera. So when you see a little tiny dinosaur that was deemed unessential, you know, imagine a child, five years old, three years old, I don't know, that chose one toy to take with them in this very hard journey. And that was deemed unessential and thrown away. As a mom, it's very easy for me to imagine the child being a little heartbroken or a lot right? heartbroken. Yeah. Yes. You're listening to the Double Scoop Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Wagner. We're here in the studio today with Vivian Zavataro, curator of the Lilly Museum at UNR. The title of the show, En Medio, literally means in the middle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I've heard people who've immigrated from one country to another tell me how they feel like they're not all the way integrated in one culture or, or all the way integrated in the other culture. Is that part of what you're getting at? And, and also you're an immigrant yourself, yep. so you must know this feeling firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I've now been away from my birth country for 14 years and lived, you know, in different places around the world. So I, I don't even know what I am, you know, and people are like, where are you? You know, where are you? I'm a naturalized American citizen, but grown, grown in an Italian family been out of Brazil for very long. So I don't know how to answer that, right? Maybe uh, you should just get an Enmedio t-shirt or, exactly. or ID badge. Yeah, exactly. I'm in between so many things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what I am. But incredibly privileged, right? You know, and I, I don't want to compare myself to any other immigrant. But, it, you know, when thinking about uh, Enmedio, the exhibition and the that Jeanette came up with the, the title. It was like we were brainstorming about the, you know, that idea of uh, like, what are we, right? Where do we sit? Like, 
who are we? And in fact, I was talking to Rafael Blanco, incredibly talented artist. So while he was painting that mural in Sierra Hall, we started chatting about the concept of this exhibit. And he's like, can I make a piece for it? You know, because I wanted seeing some of his work that is related to immigration and I wanted just lone one. And he's like, no, I'm going to make a piece for this show. And he made that incredible piece. It's called Yaskara the dreamer she it talks to you while you're looking at the piece you hear her she talks as she talks about her experience about crossing the border undocumented about being in this country for more than 20 years not being a citizen she you know she can work legally but she cannot leave the country and she cannot travel you know and she's here she's not american she's not mexican because she spent most of her life in this country in the united states so but she you know she's in that in between so his piece is exactly what the show is about he really capture the concept of of the exhibit so very thankful that he wanted to make one for this show <laughs> Great, great. I have an observation that I want to share with you and ask you to respond to. I really like museums. I love visiting them. I like galleries. I like artwork. But I admit, I have wondered a few times in recent years if the experience of looking at artwork in galleries or museums could start to feel irrelevant or unnecessary because we experience so much art and imagery on screens and on social media and I've started thinking, why do we need to go into a room for this? But when I visited your exhibition and Medio at the Lily, I felt like my prediction was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something about being in a physical space with that specific combination of images and sounds and ideas that you put in there for us to consider. It really seemed to me like a white-walled room was the most appropriate platform for this kind of discussion. Yeah. I'm glad you say that, and thank you. Thank you. That's incredibly touching, because I get asked a lot, are you an artist? And I'm not. But in a sense, when you start to think about exhibits and curation, I am. Because putting those artworks together in a particular way is an art form in itself. The decisions you make are very similar to the ones a painter would make or a video artist. There is, you know, aesthetic reasons why they're organized a certain way with this particular show the questions that are floating around the space kind of like thought bubbles right they're all there and they're placed in in a way to create a, a response from the viewer right and and i think that's important the aura you know of these objects when you see them in person and it could be that i'm a huge art nerd but it's different it's different when you were experienced these pieces in person, especially Rafael Blanco's piece, because you need both her voice and be looking at this six by seven feet canvas. Right. I'm sure it looks great on Instagram, but there is something very powerful about a physical six foot picture of the a woman's face exactly. that you're hearing the yeah. sounds of. Yeah, the scale of it. Right. And it makes a difference seeing it there. You've been at the museum for a while now, a couple of years? Yeah. But only the last two Two. exhibitions were curated by you because the previous ones that you oversaw were were planned before you arrived. Exactly. And I think with just seeing these two exhibitions, but my response is like, oh, she's a really nerdy museum nerd (laughs) because you think so in so much detail about how do you use a wall? How do you use a space? I'm, I'm excited to 
watch your career. I, like this is <laughs> this is really fun to me. I'm a really nerdy museum nerd too. That's why we get along. <laughs> the exhibition and Medio has something of a soundtrack. Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, when I started thinking about the show. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Jean-Paul Perrault's work, but he creates these soundscapes. And it's funny to me because his work really resonate with me during my bachelor's. It really stuck with me, you know, these sounds that he can create to create a particular mood or, or to, to just to take the human, the human brain into a different scenario in a way. When I started thinking about the concept of for for the show, he was one of the first artists that I reached out to. And I was like, hey, Jean-Paul, I know you're really busy, but could you create a soundscape for this exhibit? And he said yes. So that's exciting. So when you go to Enmedio, you are surrounded by his piece. The idea was to entice all the senses and engulf you into art. Today, for example, I gave a talk to one of the classes at UNR about the exhibit. And one of the students said, I went in because I had to, because my professor told me to. And I went in with that mentality, I'm going to spend two seconds here, do the assignment and leave. And she said, I ended up staying for an hour. She said, after a while, I was so focus on this exhibit and the music helps people go into some sort of like a meditative state or like a trance that they can focus into the art a little better and I think Jean-Paul and his ability to create these soundscapes are very effective in bringing people and kind of making them focus on what they're seeing there it's just wonderful that's exactly what you were looking for yeah let's have a listen That was UNR music professor Jean-Paul Perrault's soundtrack to the exhibition. You've been listening to episode 13 of the Double Scoop podcast. My guest today has been Vivian Zavataro, curator of the University of Nevada, Reno's Lilly Museum of Art, where admission is always free. The show was recorded at KWNK, Reno Community Radio, a station that brings you local voices, local playlists, local perspectives, local poetry, and nothing whatsoever that is programmed by a corporate algorithm. Our sound engineer is Nico Wagner. Our theme music comes from Reno musician Greg Gilmore. This episode received support from the Nevada Arts Council and the National Endowment for the Arts. You can listen to the Double Scoop podcast on KWNK 97.7 FM, Sunday mornings at 8, or catch it anytime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or our website at doublescoop.art. I'm Chris Wagner. Thanks for listening. <laughs>